was this morning. It's in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 this morning, and let's just read a few verses before we open in prayer. Starting verse 1 of Acts chapter 15. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas, certain other of them, should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and that they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. There rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And let's open the word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come around your word this morning. We pray as we consider this passage here in the book of Acts that Lord you would undertake, that you would speak to our hearts this morning through your word, that you teach us and refresh us through your word. Lord may you empower me this morning through the Holy Spirit so that everything I say this morning will be your words and Lord, your thoughts that Lord you would just um, take your word now and apply it to our hearts and our lives we pray. May you be honoured and glorified now in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, the progress of the gospel has often been hindered by people with closed minds who stand in front of open doors and block the way for others. I read a quote this week, it said in 1786 when William Carey laid the burden of world missions before a ministerial meeting in Northampton, England, the eminent Dr. Ryland said to him, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he would do it without your aid or mine. That's a pretty damning quote, isn't it? It shows exactly what we're talking about. People standing in front of people who are trying to do the right thing, trying to serve the Lord. And you know, more than one spirit-filled servant of God has uh, had to enter through open doors without support of others, without the support of churches and religious leaders. Now, Paul and his associates here faced a similar challenge in Acts chapter 15. Because, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they've been extremely successful in their first missionary journey, hadn't they? We just looked at that in Acts chapter 13 and 14. They've been extremely successful, particularly towards the Gentiles. But now in Acts chapter 15, their whole ministry to the Gentiles is being questioned. It's being opposed by a group of Jewish Christians from Jerusalem. You know, these Jews had heard that Paul and Barnabas we're not requiring the Gentiles to be circumcised. And they were not requiring the Gentiles to keep the law. And to them, this was error. You know, they were convinced that Paul and Barnabas were in the wrong. They were convinced that Paul and Barnabas were not uh, preaching the whole counsel of God. And they were so disturbed by Paul and Barnabas' ministry that they traveled to Antioch and they take it upon themselves to teach their doctrine to the Gentile believers there. The events that now follow in chapter 15 
You know, they really affect the whole course of church history. Because what happens here is there is a council called the Church of Jerusalem. Okay, essentially they hold a council and they make a decision concerning this matter. They settle the matter as to the position of the law in regards to the Christian. And Paul and Barnabas, you know, they courageously defend both the truth of the gospel and the missionary outreach of the church. Now, the three stages to this event here in Acts chapter 15. Now, we're only going to look at the first of these stages this morning. And that is the dispute. We see that here in verses 1 to 5, which we've already read, the dispute. <clears throat> As we mentioned in the introduction, this whole event began when a group of legalistic Jews traveled from Jerusalem up to Antioch and they taught the Gentiles that in order to be saved they needed to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses. Let's just read verse 1 again. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea <clears throat> taught the brethren and said, Except to be circumcised after the manner of Moses you cannot be saved. And then verse 5 as well it says, But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So these men have come up to Antioch with this doctrine. They're teaching that to be saved, you need to also be circumcised and be keeping the law. And while these men were from Jerusalem, it does seem that they were not authorized by the church at Jerusalem. Look in verse 24 with me. Uh, it says, For as much as we have heard, that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, You must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. Okay, so the church of Jerusalem distanced themselves from these men. You know, they were from Jerusalem, but they were not authorized by the church of Jerusalem. They didn't give them permission to teach this doctrine. So these men were not acting on behalf of the church of Jerusalem. They had essentially come to Antioch because they didn't agree with Paul and Barnabas. And so they were acting on their own, if you like. Took it upon themselves to oppose the teachings of Paul and Barnabas. You know, they were preaching their doctrine in direct opposition to the doctrine of the Apostle Paul. And naturally, there's a dispute that arises. A dispute between the two sides. So let's this morning consider the two sides of this dispute First of all, obviously, these men from Jerusalem, their side was grace plus circumcision. Grace plus circumcision. We see that in verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so the position of these men from Jerusalem was that grace alone was not enough to save a man. You know, they believed that these Gentile believers should have been compelled to be circumcised and compelled to keep the law. Essentially, you know, that faith in Christ was not enough. They needed to be Jews as well, basically. Okay, basically, what they're asking here is for them to become proselyte Jews in order to be saved, keep the law and be circumcised. It's important we understand here, you know, that these men, they didn't have a problem with Gentiles getting saved. They didn't have a problem with Gentiles being part of the church. The question, that question had already been answered back in Acts chapter 11. If you remember in Acts chapter 11, Peter had been questioned about his actions towards Cornelius. 
In verse 2 of Acts chapter 11, we're told that when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, he faced criticism uh, by these ones of the circumcision. They contended with him about his actions. Let's just go back there. Acts chapter 11. Verse 1, it says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, <clears throat> they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised, and did eat with them. Okay, so Peter arrives back in Jerusalem, and he's approached by these men of the circumcision. It's basically the same group, these Judaizers. Okay, they approach Peter, and they question Peter. They contend with him about his actions. They didn't like the fact that he'd ministered to the Gentiles. They didn't like the fact that he'd eaten a meal with them. Now, as we talked about when we looked at Acts chapter 11, they thought Peter had sinned by doing so. So Peter had to stand up and defend his ministry to Cornelius and to Cornelius' house. And he did so by declaring unto them that it was God's will. God had revealed it unto him. Okay, remember the vision of the sheet coming down from heaven? God had revealed it unto him that it was his will. And he also then showed unto them the fact that God had blessed the ministry. Okay, God had blessed the ministry because the Gentiles got saved and received the Holy Ghost. And the conclusion of the matter in Acts chapter 11 was that the Jews who opposed Peter had to admit that God had opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles. Okay, verse 17 there in Acts chapter 11. Let's just read it. <clears throat> Actually, chapter 11, verse 17, it says, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So these ones who opposed Peter in chapter 11, they had to agree that the door was open. Okay, the way of salvation was open for the Gentiles. Life was granted unto them, just like the Jews. And so the group opposing Paul now in Acts chapter 15, it's the same group, same group of people. But their problem now with Paul is not that he's preaching to the Gentiles. It's not that the Gentiles are getting saved and becoming part of the church. As I said, that matter had been settled, Acts chapter 11. Their problem rather was the fact the Gentiles were not being made to keep the law. They're not being asked or compelled to be circumcised and keep the law. You see, their contention was not in the fact of salvation for the Gentiles. It was the method of salvation for the Gentiles. They believed in grace plus circumcision, grace plus works. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that there were men in Jerusalem there was Jewish Christians who held to this position. It shouldn't surprise us. You know, verse 5 in Acts chapter 15 makes it clear that these men were Pharisees. Okay? It says, But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Okay? Before they got saved, these men were Pharisees. And so they'd spent their whole life keeping the law, and not just the law in God's word, the extended law, okay? the Pharisaical law. They spent their whole lives seeking to keep the law, religiously living it. And they've been brought up to respect and obey the law of Moses. And so now they're struggling to understand the relationship of the law and grace, aren't they? They're struggling. You know, 
they've come from a background where they've spent their whole life trying to keep the law. They get saved and they're trying to balance grace and law. Trying to understand it. And it was particularly hard for them to see how Gentiles coming from a pagan background, a pagan culture, could be saved, admitted to the church without being compelled to keep the law. They're struggling to understand this. They're looking at it thinking, how can they just get saved and join the church without being asked to keep the law? You know, perhaps there was a fear among them that, you know, among the Jewish believers that these Gentiles, if not compelled to keep the law, were going to weaken the moral standards of the church. And indeed, the book of Corinthians makes it clear that that was a valid concern, wasn't it? Okay, so it was a valid concern. These concerns were not unfounded, but their solution was wrong, wasn't it? The solution was wrong. They thought the solution was to compel the Gentiles to keep the law and be circumcised. And they went as far as to say if they didn't, they weren't saved. You know, naturally, because they believed this, these men, when they came to Antioch, they refused to have any social interaction with the Gentiles. They basically distanced themselves from any Gentiles who were saved. They said, you're not circumcised, you're not keeping the law, we're not going to have anything to do with you. They wouldn't sit down and have a meal with any Gentiles who weren't circumcised. And their teaching soon began to cause problems within the church at Antioch. Even among people who wouldn't necessarily have agreed with them about their doctrine of salvation. These people were also influenced by them when it came to interaction with the Gentiles. And Peter is one of them. The book of Galatians makes that clear. In Galatians chapter 2, you can turn over there because I'm going to read a few verses in a minute. In Galatians chapter 2, it's clear that Peter was in residence at Antioch at this time. Okay, he's there in Antioch when these men arrived with their false doctrine. You know, when Peter first arrived in Antioch, he freely, it says, entered in and ate with the Gentiles. He was quite happy to meet with the Gentiles, have meals with them, fellowship with them. You know, his vision of the, the sheet full of clean and unclean animals, and he's dealing with Cornelius in chapter 10, that made it abundantly clear to him that he was not to call any man common or unclean. Peter learnt that lesson, hadn't he? And so he... He came to Antioch, and at first he's freely entering in. He's fellowshipping with the Gentiles. When these men from Jerusalem arrive, teaching their false doctrine, Peter withdraws from Gentile society, from these Gentiles who are saved, and he no longer eats with them, and now only eats with the circumcised. Go to Galatians 2, as I said. Galatians 2, let's read from verse 11. It says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from, Je- from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So Peter here is carried away with them, isn't he? Peter himself is affected by the teaching of these men. You know, Peter probably justified his actions here by saying, I don't want to offend my weaker brethren. It's probably how he justified it. I don't want to offend these Jewish Christians, and so I'll refrain from eating with the Gentiles. You know, his example had disastrous effects upon others. Because others were looking at Peter, weren't they? The Apostle Peter is now no longer eating with the Gentiles. He's only eating with those who are circumcised. And so now this has an effect upon others. Others are carried away following Peter. 
And indeed, even Barnabas gets caught up in all this. Verse 13 there in, in Galatians 2. It says, And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Even Barnabas gets caught up in all this. Barnabas has just returned from his missionary journey with Paul throughout Asia Minor, where they've seen predominantly Gentiles get saved. That's what he's been doing. He's seen God do a great work among the Gentiles, but now even Barnabas gets caught up in this idea of separating from the Gentiles because of the teaching of these men. As I said, I'm sure Peter and Barnabas didn't believe circumcision was necessary for salvation. Indeed, Acts chapter 15 makes that pretty clear as we continue on in the passage. They didn't believe it was necessary for salvation, but they were making a concession to keep the Jewish Christians happy. And their actions were wrong. See, effectively, they were endorsing the false doctrine of these men, weren't they? Whether they believed in themselves or not, they were endorsing these men's false doctrine. They certainly weren't opposing it. You know, this is the reason why Paul withstands Peter to his face. As it says there in Galatians 2 verse 11, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. And then verse 14, it says, But when I saw they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Now Paul withstands into his face a pretty strong contention here that takes place. He rebukes Peter because Paul understood Peter was in the wrong. Peter effectively, by his actions, was teaching that circumcision and keeping of the law mattered in some form. You know, at the very least, he was implying that the Gentiles were less holy, wasn't he? At the very least, he was implying they were less holy. But it, was, it may have even been perceived that he agreed with the false doctrine that you needed to be circumcised to be saved. Now, this false doctrine here had the potential to divide the church, didn't it? It had the potential here to divide the early church between the Jews and the Gentiles to make a division of the Jewish church and the, the church at Antioch, the Gentile church, and all those underneath them. Could end up with a division here. It was a dangerous legalistic teaching. You know, Christ clearly demonstrated that there was no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. That was the whole point of Acts chapter 10, wasn't it? With the sheet coming down from heaven. God was making it plain, making it clear. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The middle wall of petition was broken down in Christ. But these men in Acts chapter 15, they're trying to build that wall back up, aren't they? They're trying to rebuild the wall of separation. Let's go to Ephesians 2 with me. Ephesians 2 verse 14 I will start in verse 13 it says but now in Christ Jesus ye who were sometimes who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ for he is our peace and hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace and that he might reconcile both under God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. 
You know, Paul speaks about this very fact, doesn't he? That Christ at the cross broke down the middle wall of petition. There is no division anymore. All are one in Christ. You know, these men, they were seeking to rebuild that wall of separation. They were seeking to put a heavy burden or yoke upon the Gentiles. And Paul describes them in Galatians chapter 4 as having sought to steal away the liberty that's ours in Christ. Let's go to Galatians 2, verse 4. It says, And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. These men were seeking to steal away the liberty that's ours in Christ, not just for the Gentiles, but for the Jews as well, and seeking to bring them back into the bondage of the law. Indeed, this was a dangerous teaching, and if it was left unchecked, it was going to destroy the unity of the church, and indeed destroy the effectiveness of the church. You know, it wasn't just Antioch that was affected by this false doctrine. The young churches that Paul and Barnabas had just founded in Galatia on their missionary journey have also been affected by similar men. These men have been visited by men as well, preaching the same false doctrine, telling these Gentile Christians they need to be circumcised, be saved, and keep the law. That's the whole reason why Paul writes Galatians. It's the whole purpose of this book. He's writing this book to combat this false teaching and to clearly demonstrate the fact that salvation is by grace alone through faith. And that's what Paul now does in Acts chapter 15. He immediately responds to the false doctrine of these men. So now we see the other side. We've seen that their position was grace plus circumcision. Paul's position was grace alone. Grace alone. Let's just read verse 2. It says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> In verse 2 here, it says, that When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, now, Paul and Barnabas now respond to the false doctrine of these men. So evidently, Barnabas has got back in line, hasn't he? Yeah, evidently, Barnabas has realized his error, and now he's standing firmly with Paul against this false doctrine. And the words dissension and disputation here, they speak of standing firm and arguing a position. And they also convey the idea of a heated discussion. You know, I love the way it's written here in the King James, no small dissension. This was a heated discussion here. Paul and Barnabas are, are defending the position of grace alone, and they're doing it vehemently. They're not happy about this false doctrine. They're arguing firmly with these men that grace alone is enough to save a man. You know, they were not going to let these legalists come in and destroy the work of God. They we're not going to let them come in and, and put bondage upon these Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas, you know, their biggest issue that they have with these men is that these men were teaching another gospel. That's what they were doing. They were teaching another gospel. These men were teaching something other than the true gospel message. 
In Galatians chapter 1, Paul speaks about those who would preach another gospel. Let's go there. Galatians chapter 1. He's referring to these men. Galatians chapter 1. Let's read from verse 6. It says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you, that will pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And if we said before, sorry, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul speaks about these men preaching another gospel. This is what these men had come to Antioch to do. They were perverting the gospel of Christ. They were adding works, weren't they? Preaching another method of salvation. In verse 8 and 9 here, Paul has a pretty stern warning for them, doesn't he? He says at the end of verse 8, let him be accursed. And the end of verse 9, let him be accursed. Stern warning for these men. He declares that those who preach another gospel, let them be accursed. In other words... Let them be cursed by God. And they're deserving of being ejected from the ministry, ejected from the church. He says they need to be put out. These men, they're accursed. Because they're preaching something other than the truth. The reason for such a stern condemnation of these men is that there is no such thing as another gospel. That's what he says in verse 7, which is not another. There is no other. You can't preach another gospel because there isn't another gospel there isn't another way of salvation there's only one way that's through grace Ephesians 2 Paul declares it wonderfully doesn't he Ephesians 2 verse 8 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast those wonderful two verses there they declare this truth so gloriously grace alone through faith these men, they were preaching their false doctrine, adding works to salvation, and by their doctrine, they were in danger of leading men to hell, weren't they? Because anyone who heard this doctrine who wasn't saved is then trying to work for their salvation. They're in danger of leading men straight to hell. They were teaching that to be saved, we need more than just God's grace. It's a dangerous teaching, isn't it? It's work salvation. Salvation becomes dependent upon what you and I do. This is what these men were teaching. No wonder Paul and Barnabas here take such an issue with it. No wonder they have no small dissension and disputation with them. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they also would have taken issue with it because by their teaching, these men were calling into question their whole ministry. They were questioning Paul and Barnabas' whole missionary work to the Gentiles. You know, you think about it. If these legalists were right, then Paul and, Barnab- Paul and Barnabas had been wrong in their ministry. Everything they'd done in Asia Minor was wrong. And they led people up the garden path with their doctrine, hadn't they? Now, along with preaching the gospel, they should have been telling the Gentiles to be circumcised and keep the law. If these legalists are right. You know, Paul had preached the very opposite in Antioch of Pisidia, Acts chapter 13. Let's turn there, Acts chapter 13, verse 39. <clears throat> Starting verse 38, Acts chapter 13, verse 38, it says, But 
uh, sorry, be it known that unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Paul had preached the very opposite of this men, these men's doctrine, hadn't he? Very opposite. He had declared that salvation was by justification, by faith. It's by faith in Christ and Christ alone. And it was something that the law of Moses couldn't do. Paul had been going around preaching and teaching that the law couldn't save and that the law had no part in salvation. But here these men are preaching the very opposite. And so their doctrine is calling into question his teaching, isn't it? It's calling into question his whole work, his whole missionary journey. Verse 24 tells us that the Antioch believers were confused. They were troubled by this. Acts chapter 15, verse 24. It says, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from, from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandments. There's confusion and disruption now in the church of Antioch because of these men. People are beginning to wonder, are Paul and Barnabas right or are these men right? They're beginning to question. There's confusion. So no wonder Paul and Barnabas are debating with these men. You know, evidently, <clears throat> even though Paul and Barnabas were learned men, and I'm sure they were excellent at debating the truth, the debate was not one-sided. You know, these men from the, on the other side were Pharisees, weren't they? They knew the Scriptures, and so they were arguing back. And so there is this argument going on, this dispute going on, and the church at Antioch, they're confused. They don't know what the answer is. To the point that they now send to Jerusalem for the answer. Verse 2 there we read, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. They've been brought on their way by the church. They passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. When they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. So Paul and Barnabas now are sent to the church at Jerusalem with others as well to ask this question and seek an answer, to get it decided from the apostles and the elders. You know, along the way, Paul and Barnabas, they take every opportunity, don't they, to share the blessings. Verse 3, it says they pass through Phoenice and Samaria. They're declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. They're declaring the wonderful work that God has done. We're told it brings great joy to the brethren there. And then upon arrival in Jerusalem, they give a report to the apostles and the elders. And then as we'll see next time, there's a public meeting that then takes place concerning this question of the keeping of the law. Verse 6 we read, And the apostles and elders came together for the consider of this matter. They come together to consider this matter. And at this public meeting we see the leaders stand up and defend the truth that salvation is by grace through faith by grace alone and so we'll consider this portion next time we'll consider the defense next time but this morning we've looked at the debate we looked at the debate that arose in the church at antioch 
the two sides, salvation by grace plus circumcision, grace plus works, and salvation by grace alone. You know, unfortunately, this false teaching hasn't gone away, has it? This false teaching of grace plus works is still being taught today. It hasn't gone away. We still have legalists who want to add works to our salvation. Or they want to tell us we must work to stay saved. It's still the same doctrine, isn't it? It's the same doctrine. Same false doctrine that these men came to Antioch preaching all those years ago. It's a false doctrine that denies our liberty in Christ. And it brings us into bondage. You know, the change in us after salvation is not brought about by adherence to legalistic laws. Rather, it's brought about by the spirits working in us to slowly, progressively change us to be more like Christ. The law is written in our hearts, isn't it? That's where the change happens. The spirit within changes us from the inside out. It's not by adherence to legalistic laws. Well, let's praise God today that works have nothing to do with our salvation. And they have nothing to do with staying saved. It is indeed all of God. We are saved by grace through faith. Let's close the word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us passages like this, which, Lord, deal so clearly with false doctrine, Lord. Lord, the false doctrine of this, this false gospel, Lord, that, Lord, we somehow need to work to be saved. Grace plus works. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Lord, our salvation is completely of you. That's by grace alone through faith. Lord, may we rejoice today in our salvation. May we leave this place rejoicing in the the knowledge that uh, this debate has been settled in your word. And Lord, we'll look at the defense of it next time. Lord, we just thank you so much for these truths. May we uh, rejoice in you today. Blessed as we close, we pray in Jesus' name.